Welcome to the Alchemist Manifesto, a podcast with Mario Ando and Daniel Topete. We're two friends holding space and making time to have holistic and humanizing platicas and charlas with the aim of alchemizing our individual experiences into shared healing and wisdom. The amistad that produces this podcast emerges from our shared commitment to social justice as teachers and scholars in the fields of critical and relational ethnic studies. And of course, our creative and everyday efforts to imagine better worlds with our loved ones, communities, and spirits. Rather than a conventional written manifesto, our podcast welcomes you to an evolving, living, and breathing journey rooted in the beauty of alchemy through amistad and the palabras, cuentos, and testimonios that emerge in a sacred ceremony of bringing our spirits together and transmitting them with you. We channel a welcome via the treacherous beauty of awareness and presence during these times of anger, sadness, hurt, and fear. May we be open and intentional to learn from those difficult emotions and experiences as we navigate our paths. To also be aware of the nebulous paths these emotions can lead us down. And, as described by Ducks Unlimited, Anadonia, waiting in the wings, getting comfortable, moving to the wings on a permanent basis. Maybe we should move to the country. We are in the mood to get resentful, baby. I'm your man, Anadonia. Let us have the courage and strength to recognize, respect, and alchemize those emotions, all the while leaning into our amistad to find our way back to the light. May every spiritual and ancestral energy that tunes in here feel the frequencies of love and liberation. We vibrate now in this alchemist manifesto. We continue to be eternally grateful for all your support and positive energy. As the pandemic continues to strike working class and communities of color in disproportionate numbers, it has been difficult to stay lighthearted and positive in our healing paths. In fact, these difficult situations can often lead us back into the isolated caves in our souls that many of us have used to hide. While scary in their own right, these caves can also be a place of comfort and familiarity as they have been our homes for most of our lives. In this cave, I have personally felt not only disconnect from myself, but from my family, friends, and loved ones. In an effort to not hurt anymore, I don't trust, I don't allow people in, I don't love. As described in the song Anatonia, in our opening, the only answers we can see include a complete dissociation. Anadonia, the first key word, energy, in our title, is usually associated with forms of depression, social anxiety, and which often make relationships more difficult. Social anadonia is typically understood as not wanting to spend time with other people. Physically, anadonia means not enjoying physical sensations like touch and sex. Anadonia is linked to withdrawal from alcohol addiction and opiates, and sometimes marijuana and cocaine. 
Sober now for over two years has allowed me to develop some tools to confront and work with these feelings of anadonia. Still at times, leaning into those feelings and trying to learn from them can be tricky, especially when the bad news keeps rolling in. Ever since I was 15 years old, alcohol had been my vehicle to speed my way back to my cuevita, hidden, intoxicated, a shell of my true self. Alcohol worked to help me bottle up and forget the pain, anger, resentment, etc. Because we live in a society that justifies anger, tantrums, and abuse done while intoxicated, all becomes forgiven while drunk. We laugh about it, and we continue to stuff those unresolved emotions into our inner caves to hopefully not explode at a future date or manifest into some kind of illness. While these feelings may go away, this sense of safety is at a price. Not allowing our spirits to be free, to grow and prepare for the great expense. I now see that I was only masking and ignoring the pain and called it self-medication. Through the Western medicine, it was only blocking those pain receptors and not healing. These two episodes are not about convincing others to be sober. It is simply a reflection between Mario and I about the legacy of neglecting our spirits and how we independently found a different way. With substances or without substances, we welcome you to find your own path toward healing and enlightenment. We welcome you to eavesdrop. Enjoy. So Mario, I think it's important that we recognize all our emotions in these healing paths. How do we recognize, respect these difficult emotions and fears without being trapped in a cave of anadonia with all of our stored up, bottled up and inherited pains and traumas? First man, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Um, this anadonia y amistad was actually going to be a, a title for the podcast we have yeah we have graphics right we have of anadonia y amistad yeah as the kind of iconography and title and um i just i really appreciate your your intro because we're honoring what brought us together um for sure especially especially during the pandemic so i just wanted to say that from the from the jump um to your question man i think you know our emotions are part of a really difficult you know path and journey um I, you hear about this metaphor of it's like climbing a mountain it's not i think these types of paths particularly of dealing with really difficult kind of loneliness and and uh, solitude and and fear. I, I think this. I think the path of that is not linear. So it's not. I'm at the bottom of a hill or a mountain, and I'm climbing all the way up. Right. And and that's not how it is. That's not how it works. Sometimes you feel great. Sometimes you don't. So I think thinking of your emotions is not like an uphill climb. That gets you from one place to another, and then you come back down. I think, for me, that's not my experience. Um, for, sure. for me, 
you know, and for me, it's it's very much stumbling, flying. Sometimes you feel sinking. Sometimes you feel like you're drowning. Sometimes you feel really relaxed. Sometimes you feel really hurt. Um, sometimes you feel really sleepy. Um, and it's not just this uphill back climb. It, it has it has a lot of different directions and. I think to answer your question, you know, when we feel anadonia, this kind of social isolation, uh, this withdrawal, I think acknowledging first and foremost that to heal, there's a nonlinear path. There's not a place from point A, let's call it pain for a second, to point B, healed. Um, we call this podcast The Alchemist Manifesto because uh, we thought that was a more accurate kind of way of thinking about Anadonia y Amistad because alchemy is a continuous process. Um, it's not something that ends and there's not an end point. It's continuous. Um, so, I mean, I think I think the first thing that I've kind of learned in, in healing practices and, and in therapy and in conversations with you is, you know, working to acknowledge that pain uh, and difficult emotions, uh, acknowledging them with empathy and compassion, I think is the, f the first thing we gotta always do, just acknowledge that they're there. Um, being mindful from that point, be really mindful of the many voices that emerge. And that's where things get really tough because the voices when you're looking for clarity the voices that emerge will be all the voices. And sometimes those voices are the ones that are telling you to numb what you're feeling. Sometimes they're the ones that tell you to distract yourself. Sometimes they're the voices to tell you to move away from that feeling, to run as fast as you can away from that. And those voices are also in concert, right? With the voice of healing, your ancestors, your spirit, your essence, who you really are. And they're also in concert with your ego, with the, that guilty voice, right? Um, those voices that tell us that we're worthless, those voices to tell us that, you know, tell us, you know, that we're not worth being alive. Um, the suicidal voice. Um, so well, well, you can hear the voice of the destroyer and you can hear the voice of the creator. And in the introduction, you mentioned, Danny, that, that this is a treacherous yet beautiful journey <clears throat> because there's a relationship between these feelings and these emotions. And, um, you know, and I think being aware, awareness and presence allows you to see and, and be very sovereign in the kind of pendulum, right? The swing from creator to destroyer. And sometimes those voices happen at once in an instance, and it's really challenging, um, you know, and I think, I think acknowledging them, hearing them, having a relationship with them. My therapist always tells me that whenever there's a difficult emotion or a state of, a state of emotions over a period of time, such as depression, such as anxiety, such as panic. Um, my therapist tells me to create a cozy place for them 
when they knock on your door, open the door. Um, tell them that they're you acknowledge that they're here, and then open a door in one of your in one of your rooms in your mental landscape, and tell them that the here's a cozy room for you. Here's a blanket, but the door is always open for you to leave when you feel like our our your visit is gone is over. And what that does is it not necessarily creates like a, a in my experience, doesn't necessarily create a positive relationship with those feelings, but it perhaps creates a neutral relationship uh, with those feelings. Um, after making room in your mental space for that, do something that doesn't merely rationalize or, or overanalyze those feelings, thoughts, and puts them into a particular perception of time or even a diagnosis, right? Um, allow for all those emotions to have a space, right? So it's like you made this cozy space. Um, how do you reckon with that? And sometimes the overanalytical mind, the Western mind, wants to categorize and, and <clears throat> catalog them as like clinical. And in fact, they are, and it's important to know that. But also creating space, right? Doing things like drawing, journaling, walking. We just had a really sweet episode about that um thank you everyone who listened to that while walking we got, we got your message and messages about listening to the podcast and while you were walking um that's just like fulfilling you know it's 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 give, creating that space for not just the analytical that's just not just the brain but your body to have a space to you know find that um, doing activities that return you to your body. Because I think to answer your question too, right? Like the cave of Anadonia is like situated, it's like located. And I think because of the pandemic, right? This cave of isolation is very easy to fall into. Right. Um, the conditions are ripe for that. Our bodies have the answers to how to deal with that. It's the question that becomes, do we listen to our bodies? Um, and, and, and as we've talked about before, we, we do not have the training to listen to our bodies. Um, and that's a tough process. Um, I want to acknowledge that, but doing these kinds of things like journaling and drawing, um, you learn a lot about yourself. I've learned sometimes, I've learned good and bad. I've learned things like when I meditate, it's supposed to be this like space of awareness. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes I use meditation to suppress. So it's like the, the thing that was supposed to help me you know, I'm just pressing, right? I'm like forcing myself to be super disciplined and I don't let myself move when I'm trying to be in the lotus position. Um, right. So I've you learn that from creating space for your feelings. Um, I've learned also that when I've sat with those feelings, when I've allowed my subconscious space, when I've allowed these difficult emotions to come in, um, as someone who's been sober for, for over two years now, um, I learned that I get this feeling of wanting to drink or smoke, but that feeling is not necessarily attached to that substance anymore. Sometimes it's like attached to eating and you learn what, where your energies go when you've, you've replaced it, like that habit, you replaced it. One of the challenges I think to um, this particular journey of sobriety that I'm on 
is kind of seeing I've, I'm not doing that anymore, but I still have this other energy. I still have this craving and this kind of um, addictive, you know, wanting to over consume something and it's eating for me. Um, and that has radically affected my health too. So I want to also, you know, like Danny said in the intro, this is not about like a public service announcement about encouraging everyone to do this, but that sobriety is really difficult. Um, and it, it's not like you stop doing one thing and then those things go away. It's really tough. Um, but when you develop that, 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 that awareness, I think that's, that's really helpful too. Um, and that leads you to different questions as a result, right? You like, okay, these are the energies that where I'm at. Um, and you start asking different questions about yourself, right? Uh, um, why, why do I do what I do? Which we typically don't ask um, with that sense of awareness when we're in kind of, kind of ego state and pain state. Um, am I drinking enough water, right? Because when you're having a relationship with your body, you're asking different questions and you know i've had i don't know how many years i was really i was dehydrated for long periods of time mm. um am i keeping myself from eating when i'm having these urges and how do i balance that am i aligned with the needs of my body these are different things that i've started to ask in 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 that journey of, of trying to have a, a positive relationship with my emotions um, and i think for me uh, you know, I really have learned not just intellectually, but seriously in, in, in the depth of like my lived experience that my body is an archive. It is a repository of data and information, you know, and in, in, in my academia, we talk about archives, like you go to the library to find like books and stuff. Our bodies are those archives, right? And they have the answers that we're looking for. Um, and Aradonia, as I was thinking about your question, you know, it almost like articulates our alienation from others, but it also, for me, Anadonia also means alienation from our own bodies. Right. Um, and uh, I do want to say that another piece of this is that this loneliness, this Anadonia that Danny and I have outlined here is incentivized by capitalism, um, racial capitalism, by colonialism, um, because if we actually all healed together, um, we would actually see that we have a collective sorrow that we share. We perhaps might organize better worlds with health in mind beyond this particular hell on earth. Um, so I don't think any of this stuff that we're talking about is apolitical. It's extremely political and critical. And, mm -hmm. and I think these questions of, of what do I do with difficult emotions and feelings in the context of, 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 of sobriety, right? Um, you know, as we're thinking about alignment and coherence with our emotions, uh, it's important to also be gentle with ourselves and acknowledge that these feelings come out of demands of labor, violence, the legacies of colonialism. They keep us from even asking these questions in the first place. Right. Right. So it's not just, an, it's not like, oh, you have a problem fix it there are deep institutional structure historical dynamics at play here um, and that's where I, I feel 
the courage and with a lot of humility to ask the question, you know, are the are these substances part of our collective healing or are they part of our collective pain, you know? And how do the emotions that come out of out of our relationship with with those with these emotions and and, and isolation and um, how are they tied to healing rather than kind of just encouraging more pain? How do you think about that, Danny? How do you recognize and respect those difficult emotions, feeling kind of trapped in a cave of Anadonia? Yeah, man. I mean, I think definitely feeling like, you know, this process, you know, of not really knowing how to navigate, right? Uh, especially these difficult you know feelings and and emotions that using you know for me alcohol as one of those escapes was basically the way that you know was taught to me right um especially as a heteronormative you know, cisgender man you know growing up in the society was you know we don't talk about those things right we don't talk about those emotions right even when it was in spaces you know that we're supposed to intellectualize these things like for me like in grad school it's like i didn't really have that right i didn't have and even when i tried to reach out to some folks it was always like let's just go to the bar right and and you know i did and i did go to the bar right and and i did use that in a very destructive manner um and it got destructive when i was in minnesota for me and uh, when i was in grad school in minnesota and it was again all of these emotions that I didn't have a space to talk about, right? And I continued to suppress those things. I continued to, you know, not have even a conversation with myself about how these feelings were being manifest in my body, right? And illnesses that I was getting out there, at, you know. I sigh that ballooned up and I had to get surgery out there to get it removed and all of these things that you know again I, as I as I reflect is I believe you know from a lack of leaning in and respecting and like recognizing those difficult right moments that were happening you know and and, and again, just continuing to stuff it and stuff it in these, these places that, you know, I probably all my life have been using as, like you said, an archive of pain almost, right? Uh, it was no surprise to me that I developed a drinking problem, right? And now that I think about it, right, like I had these things that I wanted to let out and I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't, right? I felt like you know, I didn't have those spaces. Therapy wasn't an option for me for a while, right? Uh, because of money, because of, you know, lack of insurance and stuff like that. And again, like that's something that you're talking about too, right? This sense of, you know, this capitalizing off of these, you know, emotions, right? It's no surprise that we have tons and tons of commercials for alcohol especially you know with sports and things like that that again it becomes a sense of you know here's the answer here's the answer this is this has been the answer historically from from the top two working class communities that you know i fell right into that you know and it wasn't until you know we i started doing therapy in minnesota because it got really bad 
and I didn't stop drinking because my therapist was, was like, no, you don't really, you're not an alcoholic. You have a drinking problem. So I was like, okay, great. I'll just continue drinking. And again, it, I, it was, it was a positive sense because I started to really question, at least question my relationship to alcohol. Right. It was like, why am I drinking today? Right. Is it because it's somebody's birthday? I want to have fun and I want to celebrate you. Or is it because I had a shitty day, right? Or I had a really bad day and all of a sudden I'm going to come home to, you know, a six pack of highly concentrated alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are those moments that I think, like we said in the beginning, right? We're not suggesting that this is the answer for everybody, right? I think everybody has their own relationship, but at least for us to really at least raise the question, like, why is it? What are we using this particular, right, uh, you know, vehicle, be it alcohol, be it, you know, whatever other substance. And again, maybe even like you mentioned, maybe it's even meditation, right? Maybe it's even something like that, that again, how are we using these vehicles to have that discussion with ourselves, right? And again, something like Anadonia for me, as I've been having a very difficult week as well, you know, to think about, right, what can I learn from this emotion also, right? Because just like we have good times, there's also a lot of bad times, right? And maybe it's to really even change the language about good and bad, right? To be like, what is it that this is, you know, what I can learn from this moment, right? Shout out to Rock Ferguson. It's like we would always think, like, what what good can we take away from this reading that everybody says they dislike? Okay, but what about what what good can we take away from this, right? And maybe those are those moments that, to me, I want to start reshaping the conversation with myself about what is good and what is bad, right? And that even when I have a negative emotional response to a situation to be like, okay, like next time, what can I do differently? Or what can I take away from this moment? Because these moments are not gonna stop coming, right? These moments are gonna be a part of our life for the rest of our lives here, right? And again, here, when I think about respecting and you said like allowing them into your you know your your living room and your mind right is to to acknowledge right that they're also this is also their home right and and it's just like maybe like the good times to leave the door open for the bad times leave the door open for the good times too right to be like okay right like you served your purpose you gave us you know you told us what it is that you wanted to to tell us you know we're having a, a creative dialogue maybe in our minds right to to alchemize right these emotions good and bad or again just emotions right i try to create something positive within ourselves that i think has never been an option for me because i've never thought about it in that way right i never thought about it as Again, even like you mentioned, like like using, you know, in these last couple of years, right, using other vehicles to kind of suppress those thoughts, right, to try to think about how do I get these bad feelings 
out of my mind. And you're right, I was running away from it. And I was using different techniques now to try to run away from it, right? Never really thinking about, okay, you know what? Like, let's, let's, let's talk about why you're feeling this way about this particular moment. And I'm not gonna lie, like you said, sobriety is hard. I, you know, when these emotions come up, that's one of my first automatic responses. It's like, I could go for a drink right now, right? And again, it, 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 it's not because of whatever reason, but for me, it's always been like, well, now the question that follows up with that is, well, why do you want to drink, right? What is that going to fix for you in this process? I mean, I haven't got a positive response as to why I should have a drink when those difficult moments come up, so I haven't. But, you know, this last week, I think, really brought this question for me, right? When I I was having a difficult time with COVID-related deaths and, you know, tests and things like that in our family that, you know, took me down this path that I was like, well, you know, let me lean into it. Let me lean into this feeling. And it became like a very slippery slope where I was out of commission for a couple of days because I was just like, like you said, I wanted to sleep. All I wanted to do was nothing, right? And it took me a minute to to recognize like, okay, like, how do, we, how do, how do I respect, you know, the feelings that are happening here without feeling completely devastated, completely earth shattered, right? Completely like out of commission, right? So, so yeah, I think definitely trying to recognize these feelings and change the language is something that right now I'm currently trying to wrestle around in my mind, right? And in my body as I try to create a different relationship, right? with with these moments that can feel completely devastating. Something that's, that I'm learning, I don't have the answers to this and um, at all, but one of the things that I'm learning is that my body and my spirit took care of me when my traumas and pain were in the driver's seat. And it's almost like what I describe you articulating right now with this week, for instance, is your body told you like, you have a lot going on. Maybe it's time to sleep a little bit. And I remember when, you know, if I was grieving and I am even going back to a few years ago when I was grieving the, the death of my, oh, my, the death of my abuelo uh i turned to to that to that side of it to to drinking and, and smoking pretty heavily um to get me through and yes it got me through some tough moments but the the wreck the wake the for lack of a better word the autopsy of that is what it did to my liver, is what it did to all parts of, of my body. And I think it's that that kind of relationship of 
of, of the language that our body and spirit speak. It doesn't speak to you in English. It doesn't speak in colonial tongues. It takes care of you without you even having to say anything. It's it's kind of it's incredible because when I've when you overdo for me personally, when I've overdone it, right? Drink too much, been drinking, whatever that is. What does your body do? It has a physical response, right? It tells you, all right, enough. As it's happening, it tells you, right? Your eyesight gets a little blurry. Your motor functions stop functioning. Your voice gets, right? It's telling you and people around you, yo. And uh, and I, I find it quite beautiful to, to, to think of how what body and spirit were saying were it was time to sleep. That's body and spirit listening to that, and that's body and spirit taking the wheel and 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 and, and, and trusting that we can have a relationship between that, right? Body, spirit, and our tra trauma and pain can both can all have hands on the wheel, um, right. as opposed to the ego state, which is very always kind of wounded. Um, and, and hurt. And uh, I find that regardless of what the journey was to, to, to and what the journey will be, I find that part of this journey of sobriety for me, whether it is permanent or temporary, because I will be the first person to tell you it's tough. I feel like it's it's this moment in time that I'm honoring the work that my body and spirit did. It's not even just about staying healthy. It's about, thank you so much for taking care of me, particularly in my 20s. Thank you so much for taking care of me when I wasn't even, you didn't even enter my, my mind. Uh, I didn't even think about my liver until recently. But I could feel it. I could feel it when I was drinking, especially that you brought up Minneapolis. There were times there where, you know, we were eating some good food and some heavy beers. I could I could feel my liver aching. I could feel parts of my, like I could feel it. I wasn't processing it well. And um, when it's interesting too, because the culture of Western secularism, because that's what I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it that for a second, has a lot of rituals around drinking, where, right, like the pressure to take that additional shot when someone's telling you that they've reached their limit, the secular culture of the benchmark of 21, I would argue that in Western culture, 21 is a rite of passage the the amount of access we have to certain substances in working class communities of color versus the access we have to you know healthcare mental health services collective action 
is one of the our, like it's one of the large like we're talking about the wealth gap we're talking about like the disparities in terms of access to to certain things and that's really that makes me that leaves always leaves me heartbroken because you know for those who are listening too if you feel like this is like an individual problem it's not this is a cultural structural historical and institutional process and you know i think that's why alchemizing them as as part of you know a shared space is important um because we have to have each other's backs and support each other through whatever stage that is but you know it's really difficult because in this secular culture, we have ceremony around 21. And I'm using ceremony very, you know, you know, lightly. But what I mean by that is you actually, if you actually kind of take a step back and observe what 20, what turning 21 means, what celebrating a certain thing with that means, it's, it's unquestioned, it's uncritiqued. And critiquing it is almost uh, like you're you're going to marginalize yourself for for it. Uh, at least that was my experience in in grad school, and uh, and and that was tough because we were all really struggling with stuff. And and I, I have so much compassion for everyone who's struggling with that because I am right now. I'm I'm trying to have compassion with myself um, because all of the economic material conditions and the spiritual warfare that we're all under is that Anadonia that we're talking about. And um, I'm so grateful for body and spirit and what it's capable of doing. For me, I think I found that time that worked. Um, and it makes me, it's always so heartbreaking when it's too late. But I think that's what that collectivity is, right? That collectivity is, is um, you know, developing communities and cultures of, of, of honoring what we're all struggling through, right? That we can share with that, we can hold that together. Uh, whatever, whatever place you are, and um, this is just where I'm at currently. It's a, it's a tough journey. Well, for sure, and I, and I think you know, just kind of. You know the the 21 thing right like um for me it was you know again i had been drinking some way before 21 right so i remember when i was like you know reaching 21 it was more of like oh great i get to go to las vegas now right like because drinking wasn't even it wasn't one of those things for me anymore because it was like yeah i've been drinking for quite a while right regularly right um and they was i was i didn't have that excitement right of like you know well now i get to drink well now i get to buy my own booze i guess right um legally right i think everybody knew of a liquor store that looked the other way right yep but those are those moments that you're right i think it, it's so embedded in these you know um institutions of of you know here 
you know, to me, definitely colonialism, right? This sense of, you know, denying these parts of you that, you know, are so threatening, right? So threatening about, you know, your being that, to be honest, angers me, right? I think it, in, in retrospect, right, angers me that I have, I've neglected this part of me for so long that I, I feel now like, you know, having a space like this and having an amistad like the one I have with you allows me to like flourish that part of me that I've negated for so long because of one, hyper-masculinity, two, I live in a society that doesn't give me access to, you know, healthcare, and, you know, again, and I also racialize, right? Definitely. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I totally feel you, right? It's this sense of you know, using these things. And again, they've served the purpose. They served the purpose for a long time. And I'm thankful that, you know, it, it you know, we got to a place where maybe it wasn't too late. You know where we did in you know irreparable damage to ourselves right um and just to even think about like you know that we can create spaces on the other side of saying like okay we can you know have those spaces as long as they don't you know for me at least right to not that it doesn't dictate right the emotions that, that I feel are happening there, right? And mm-hmm. just to kind of like wrap that up here, like to, 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 to kind of think about that for me, when, you know, I've had folks pass, you know, transition, I've used alcohol in that way to kind of like cope and mourn but I don't think it I was able to mourn properly because of that inhibited state right in that intoxicated state Mm -hmm. you know um, using that I I think you know suppressing those true mourning feelings like I think you know stick with you and you keep reliving those moments because you've never really allowed that to process right like uh, I feel like you know, my dad passed away in 2015, and it didn't hit me until I stopped drinking. I, I, I think I cried once <laughs> uh, when he passed away, and I laugh at it probably because if I don't laugh, I cry right now. But I think those are those moments that, like, that using alcohol and suppressing, 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 it wasn't real, right? It became almost like, you know, a part of my drunken haziness that it was just like, mm. it didn't really hit me. Right? It didn't really hit me until, you know, I stopped and I, uh, and these feelings came back. These anniversaries of his death came back. And then, and it was like, why do I feel like absolute crap this week? Oh yeah, it's my dad's birthday. Oh yeah, it's my dad's, you know, death anniversary. Oh yeah, it's Father's Day. Like, and 
my body knew already that day before I even like put 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 it together. My body already knew, hey, it's about that time of year, right? And I wasn't able to put those things together, right? Because of my reluctance to I really accept this. And and I was I kept using here, I kept using this substance to kind of haze this, you know, this feeling. And and definitely like it numbed it and numbed it. It it made it almost unreal, but it didn't make it go away. And it, and it kept resurfacing. And that came back, you know, as headaches. It came back as I'm in a very crappy mood this week. It came back as right depression. And, and you're right, man. It's it's thinking about it. It's beautiful because it's like you know what? Like we, as a part of that colonial process, I think we try so hard to separate right our body from this just reality that supposedly is like the mind and all that right like it's completely separate right it's, it has nothing to do with and and over and over again our bodies say no we're coming back and you're gonna feel it if you don't want to accept it consciously you're gonna feel it right and <laughs> yeah bodies are amazing <laughs> Thanks for sharing your story, man, because I've done that too on in multiple ways. When um, when I moved back from Minnesota, I was working for a few years. I was writing my dissertation. I defended my dissertation. I then went to Minneapolis, flew there, and I celebrated my 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 degree was like the graduation ceremony and went with my family there for the weekend right uh, those those memories are pretty hazy i'm glad there's pictures and that summer was a, was was rough because what i realized is that the degrees were masking my overabundance of feeling horrible about myself. Mm. And I, I blamed myself for, for some traumas that had happened to me that I've brought up before. And uh, it wasn't until after I got my, my PhD that that's when everything came tumbling down. And I, it's almost like achievement was the way that I would finally be able to speak my truth about who I was hmm. and what had happened to me. And substances helped me get to that point of, all right, I'm gonna get the PhD, right? They numbed all that stuff so that I could finish that thing. Mm -hmm. As soon as that thing was finished, my body was like, this thing that you thought was, you know, um, important, it's done now. 
and I've been dealing with you <laughs> for a while, mm. right? My body was like, I'm, I'm dealing, I've been, I've been dealing with you for a minute. Mm-hmm. You've put me through some stuff. Um, and then it was like this beautiful thing of like, of sovereignty. Your body just takes sovereignty over you, and is like, when I say beautiful, I don't, I don't mean that in like a negative or positive sense, right? I, when I say right. beautiful, I, it's just like it's it's nature, and your body's your body's the one. It's not capitalism that's in control. It's not it's not professionalization. It's your body. That's a beautiful right. thing to really think about. Even if that journey is really, really tough. Um, and that's where it was like, you know, you have all the degrees, you did all the work. All right. Now body's in control. That because you kind of like spiritually set yourself up to suppress, to accomplish that thing. Now, it's a bit embarrassing to admit that, <laughs> being honest, but that's what it was. That's what achievement was for me. It was kind of like I needed to get all these things before I could tell anyone what really was going on. And I and that left a lot of pain and hurt in myself, in my relations, you know, like my with, you know, with kin and, and, and otherwise, right? All my relations, right? Family and friends. Um, and uh, that's when my body was like, we got to slow down. We got to figure this out. What's going really going on because the alcohol, all this other stuff, it ain't cutting it. So then I started getting panic attacks, paranoia. And I look back at, I have some distance from that. So if, if you're listening and you're currently going through that, I feel you. I look back at that. And one of the things that in the healing journey was always really front and center was to confront it. Don't go around it. And when you confront it, there are some different beautiful pastures that you can, um, you know, chill on and enjoy the sun at. Um, but it's it was that it was that process. And then right, when we're thinking about you know, all these other kind of, you know, journeys, it's like, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, it shouldn't be that way, but that's just, that's what it is. Um, and, uh, letting our bodies have sovereignty and rather than these other kind of energies, it's, it's, it's not an easy path. Um, but it, I think it is, it is a different decolonial path. Um, it allows you to connect with folks differently, ask different questions, um, build out your truth. That does that path is not is is not roses and it's it's thorny, it's uncomfortable, it's messy, it's, it's loud and quiet. Um, but no, you know nothing that's beautiful isn't all those things. And yeah, and it helps us, I think, accept ourselves more. And you seek your body's validation rather than external one. I think mm. that's critical. Yeah. So I think one of the things is that 
it's important for us to really honor as well as the moment we realized, right, that this was a path for us, right? And, you know, I want to ask that to you, you know, intentionally, what, what was the moment for you when you wanted to use sobriety as, as a part of your healing path? Uh, how did that moment inform a new relationship with yourself built on like compassion and love? I think I was like already uh, hi like highlighting that right now, um, but yeah, it was it was the summer of of I had just gotten my my PhD. It was that summer, and I was I was really in a haze. That was tough. It was a tough summer. You would think it would be the opposite, right? I mean, I think the assumption would be you you climb the mountain and you got to the top and you have a nice view. That's why I, I think that's an interesting thing. Like I started earlier, it's not a mountain. Mm -hmm. um, it was actually my 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 deepest valley, I think. And um, I had a night where I did a little too much of everything. Mm. It was like a mixture of a lot of things, right? I was alone. If I, it, so to add some more context, most of the stuff is me. I'm a lot of it is social. Some a lot of these stories are me being alone. Yeah. Again, not very easy to admit, but I was alone. That the night that I'm about to reference, I was alone. And um yeah, edibles, alcohol, other things. Um probably I, I can remember that day summer beautiful day too since the sun was about to set starting that 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 day right and that lasting well into the night and then I think the moment that I realized I wanted to be sober was probably sometime in the midnight or like early morning right like 3 3 a.m. let's let's say I this out-of-body experience I've, I've never I had never experienced in my uh, you know drunkenness never I really had no idea I had no control over my body but it wasn't a blackout this is a different thing it was an astral projection hmm. I left my body and I was walking through my house but I, my physical experience was I'm laying in bed and I'm walking through the house. Hmm. So I felt like I couldn't bring myself back to my body that was in bed. And I felt like hurting myself. And I felt like I, I couldn't bring my, like I couldn't bring the connection of where my spirit was in the house, where I where 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 I actually felt I was in bed to not hurt myself. And um, and that, that feeling of uncontrollability is different than blacking out. I mean, that's a whole other feeling because you're, you're aware, right? It's almost like I had given myself anesthesia, right? Mm -hmm. I can't move. 
I can feel that I have an astral projection, so my spirit's moving. But I can't get out of my the current state of sleep that I'm in. But I'm aware of everything that's happening, and I can't do anything about it. Oh my god, dude! It was the worst feeling I've ever felt. I really thought that was the end. And uh, and that's you know that's the last time I. Yeah, that's it. And what's what when we and you and I were were talking about doing an episode about this, I was telling you that I mean I'm like probably working in the double digits of probably in the you know hundred where it's like you know you come home you throw up. And you have the hangover for the like maybe a day or two. Oh my god, dude! I mean, those I could. I mean, those are countless times. None of those times did it for me. I still kept going. I was back at it. Mm-hmm. And that was so that that's that moment was very distinctive. Um, you know, and. And it really speaks to, okay, like, this is, I could, I could hurt myself. Um, and uh, this isn't good. And um, at all. And that's when I was like, some, there's something unearthing itself because the external accomplishments had been quote unquote accomplished. PhD was in hand. Now it was like, now the PTSD was about to really kick in and it was like about to be freed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when my, that's when this journey started. I think that's, that's how we, that's how I got to the, where sitting in this space with you, Danny, it's like that night was the end of that experience for me. Um, and um, I don't want, I don't want to feel that ever again. Um, and because um, I didn't feel like it was going away, I felt like it was ending. And um, and yeah, when you start, you can't recognize your reality. It's a whole other. It's a whole other experience. And that's when I was like, okay, what's going on? And that's when I. That's actually when I was completely open to my traumas and then i within the next month within the next month i was um having flashbacks of of some things and and it was interesting because it was during kind of a period of stopping those things leaving my body the chemicals and um i was fully aware and conscious of of that in my system so and i could start that journey of really figuring out what's going on um, but what about what about you um what was that moment you realized you wanted to be sober and how did that inform a new relationship with centered around compassion and love thanks for sharing man. i mean that's and it, it, for me it wasn't one moment it, i think it, it was building and building you know, and like I said, um, never having access, you know, to medical or you know, Medicare or whatever, whatever we call it, or just 
insurance uh, growing up, right? It never was an option to think about another way uh, in this healing path. And so, you know, for me, it was, you know, being in Minnesota, having many, many of those blackout dates, right? Not stopping, right? Doing, you know, using the, the hair of the dog that bit you the next day and just starting pretty much every single day the same cycle over and over and over and over. And and just using alcohol to escape some of those realities and feelings, uh, you know, like you said, like, you know, uh, feeling like crap for yourself, you know, it's feelings for me was like feelings of inadequacy, feelings of, you know, of, you know, not being good enough in those spaces, you know, I've, I think most of my dissertation was written at a bar and, and the other half was I definitely wrote right when um, while drinking and it, it was always like I would sit down I would make sure I had my alcohol and I would write until I was nonsensical because I was finally drunk and uh, it it just it, it started feeling like when the degree started coming, when some of these accomplishments started coming in, I felt the same way, like, now what? Now what? You know? And all those things came rushing back in, like a big wave. And it felt earth shattering, right? And I felt like I opened the door because I started doing therapy. I started, you know, thinking about, right? Like, a different relationship with alcohol, I still was drinking. It wasn't until Diego was born, when my son was born, that I started really thinking about what that would look like. I still didn't stop. Diego was born in September. My dad died in October. And a lot of those questions about what kind of father am I going to be started coming up because I wasn't okay with the relationship that I had with my dad and the relationship that he had to alcohol that now I'm starting to recycle and you know have the same relationship with alcohol that my dad did that now I'm like wait a minute like am I going to pass this down to him that's when I, in the past episode, it was when I started doing things for myself. I started saying, okay, like, let me find some healthier outlets. And I still was drinking because I could not see myself not drinking. It literally was like one of those things I'm like, it's just an, it's impossible for me to think of myself not having beer in my hand. And there was little things that I started like shortly after that making those connections. When Diego started speaking, right? Like I remember one time we went to, we took him to see Aquabats and he saw this big, like he loads Aquabats. <laughs> and there was this big, like uh, there was a California pizza thing, right? And 
there was a pizza and a huge beer. And he told me, Papa, I can't wait till I drink a beer with you. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about it now. Infuriates me. And I was like, oh. he, he must have been three years old when he did that. And I'm like, starting. Mm-hmm. And it was around that time that, you know, I was like, something's got to change. speak of creating a new you know like better world for him and well I'm con- maybe unconsciously passing down these these legacies of you know to him right I wasn't okay with that and I started trying meditation to kind of block some of those things away or just concentrate on it asking ancestors to help me right and to and asking ancestors to light my path here and i remember one day i was i had just done this training i was doing these basketball trainings that were like they would take me to the brink of where my body was like i can't do it anymore like my legs were shaky and it was like it was you know it was a different experience for me i remember i remember those that was a at that gym, right? In, uh, yeah. In Monte? Yeah, somewhere over here. It's okay. uh, in the borders there. And uh, of, I think it's Irwindale. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would sit there stretching afterwards and I would concentrate and I would be, I would like tell myself like, I remember one day I said to myself, what do I need to do? You know, I would like dedicate that energy to the ancestors and to myself to heal right like you're trying to like think about this energy that i was exerting in a different way and i remember one day like just like in this kind of meditative state hearing that voice inside me like wow i was like literally like what do i need to do to get me back to get me on this path of healing and it was immediate stop drinking and it was immediate my response was like i can't do that and I was like, it was it was interesting because I was like answering the question for myself and I was denying it at the same time. And it was just this voice that I was like, <laughs> what's happening? Yeah. Right, what, what's right. happening here? It's just such a complicated relationship that I have with this thing that I was, again, I think it, it took me a while to come to terms with it, to come to terms with like, I, I can do this, right? And I remember that day being one of those days because I was like, I can't do that. And that really pissed me off too. But I was like, what do you mean you can't do that? What do you mean you can't stop drinking? Like, like if, if you're so dedicated to this thing in your mind, like you can't do this thing. Like, and I remember shortly after that too, like a couple of, that's probably within the same week, there was a, it was it was around October, um, and some native folks to kind of do a little drum circle and kind of you know just rethink right this Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day, and they started talking about their sobriety as a form of decolonizing, right? Um, and that really did it for me. That was the day. It was a process for me, right? And I think it took me several years 
to you know really you know have the courage right for myself to be like that's it right like the i think the event the indigenous people event really brought it home for me at a different level that you know kind of hit me hard it hit me as a part of this colonial process and feeling what that meant was that sense of now me being a father and passing that down to my son right really brought it home for me really like made it like crystal clear it's like this isn't just a theory of this like historical trauma right passed down from generation to generation you're living it right now and if you don't do something about it you're contributing to this you're going to pass it down to your kid and i'm not okay with that and i don't know i think i don't know if i'm ever going to be maybe when he's old enough one of these days and if he asks me i'll think about it but until then i have to be the path because i have to be the different path for him because all of these generations all of these you know have have come to this moment where and this society okays it the society endorses it that if i'm not it then what chance am i giving him who it's a beautiful thing to be able to talk to you bro uh, cuz i think you know we titled this episode anadonia <clears throat> yeah me stop for a reason we're not alone in in these journeys i think about that a lot Thank you for sharing your time and inviting us into your day here at the Alchemist Manifesto. In between episodes, check out our playlist for the Alchemist Manifesto podcast on Spotify or Apple Music to listen to the vibrations that inspired us and keep us moving. We invite you to check out the next episode. Feel free to share your thoughts, responses, and questions via direct message on Instagram at the Alchemist Manifesto or via email at thealchemistmanifesto at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. A reminder that if you ever feel stuck on the mud, Rosa Lois. No olviden, el viento puede aclararnos la vista, pero a veces las nubes pueden dejarnos algo bello con su despedida. A special shout out to Jaime Italavera, JT on SoundCloud. For the musical intro and to Yoel Ureña Mora, Yoel.design on IG for your work on our social media. We appreciate both. We also thank Chris Orende for listening to us on Drives Across Los Angeles. Anita Tijerina Revilla, thank you for sharing our efforts. Special shout out to Ananas for sharing that the E Aprender a Ver episode helped you reimagine your syllabi and enjoy your walks a little bit more. And we also thank Vanessa Ramirez for syncing their lived experiences with ours. Thank you everyone who's shared messages with us. It keeps us going. <laughs>